Well, good morning. Good morning, and thank you, Zach. Awesome young man. We love him. And doing a great job uh, with, uh, with our students. Good job. Well, guys, we are, uh, we're wrapping up a series. It seems like we just kind of jump in one, and then we take off and go. This series has been called Woke, and we'll jump into that in just a second. We are uh, beginning a new series next week called How to Bible, How to Bible. And we're going to correspond this with our groups. So our groups will be jumping in. Several of them will be studying along with that. And we'll be uh, offering opportunity for you to join a new group if you'd like to do so next week. So keep that in mind. And that will take us up uh, to Christmas, believe it or not. It it is on the horizon. But uh, uh, it's a great, uh, great weekend. We're glad you're here with us today. You know, uh, we're going to wrap up today on the study. And we're going to be talking today about civility. And I was looking this past week at the latest FBI annual report on incidents involving hate crimes and hate speech. And uh, that, I believe it was two, uh, 2017, it uh, takes a year or so to get it all pulled together. But in that report, it recorded over 7,000 documented hate crimes in the U.S. And they acknowledge that the numbers are up and they assume that they'll continue to go up, uh, seems to be t- trending that way. Uh, but in that study, they discovered that 70% of those hate crimes are race ethnicity or heritage related. And we might say, well, we're pretty safe here in the Bible Belt here in Kentucky, right? Uh, But in reality, it's not so great. In fact, we were number eight in the country with hate crimes reported, 378 incidences that had been reported. Now, you might say, well, that, you know, how do you relate that? How do you connect that or compare that? South Carolina, which is further south, obviously, and uh, you might think would have a greater problem in, than us, and we're similar in, in population. To our 378, they had 87 reported cases. So the reality is that it's everywhere across our country, even in places that we may not realize or understand or think about, including right here in our own state. And so in the series, we've been looking at what the Bible has to say about racism. And the first message a couple of weeks ago, we talked specifically about what race is. We said that there's really only one human race that we're all made by God, that we have common parents, Adam and Eve, that God divided people into nations and languages, that God loves us all equally, calls us to be to salvation through Jesus Christ. God expects us to love each other like He has loved us and to value one another. And that while we may think we're different, we are all one, especially in Jesus Christ. And then last week, we talked specifically about racism itself. And we said the word is thrown about a lot. And we gave a definition to that, that racism is the belief in the superiority of one race over another, believing that one race or one tribe of people is superior than another. And we may all think that we're not racist, that we don't have that in us, but the reality is is that many times we have racist thoughts, we make racist comments, we make racist decisions, and sometimes we even act in racist ways, even though we, we don't want to be that. Sometimes it comes out because of our humanness. And we, we just talked about the power of social media, uh, which is a part of our world, like it or not. And that, that really makes it worse as people just have a tendency online to say things that they probably would never say to a person's face. If they, never, if they had to be held accountable for it, uh, they might not do that. But social media gives us a chance to do that, unfortunately. And if you want to get uh, see that real, just check out Voices of Versailles. Uh, don't do that. Be like me. Unfollow that page because there's nothing really good that comes out of that. I'm sorry. It's personal. But, but also, social media has made things bad, you know. New words come up. The word trolling. 
Trolling, I thought that was, had something to do with phishing, is what I always thought it was, but it really isn't. Trolling is defined as creating discord on the internet by starting quarrels or upsetting people by posting inflammatory or off-topic messages in an online community. And so whenever you look online and you see somebody is just trying to stir things up, they're, they're making comments about what's being discussed, or maybe they're just throwing things out to start another whole other conversation. And we know that some people even have fake social media accounts so they can say whatever they want, and so then it becomes anonymous. But the reality is, is that racism and uh, inappropriate comments and discrimination is not anonymous. It is not anonymous. We all know that it can hurt deeply, it can scar people for life even, and create their own prejudices, create their own struggles in life. And sometimes those effects can be devastating. And, and we see that a lot, the topic we've been talking about in just in, in racial differences. I was remembering back, and, and this is, goes back several years, in 1991, there was an African-American gentleman named Rodney King. Anybody remember him? Rodney King was, uh, was out of jail on parole for robbery, and he was in pursuit. The police pursued him in a high-speed chase through South Los Angeles. When they finally stopped him, maybe you remember this, King was ordered out of the car, and L.A. Police Department officers beat him and kicked him with batons for, uh, for an estimated 15 minutes. And it was caught on a video camera, not on somebody's phone, but it was caught probably on one of the old shoulder things. Somebody happened to have a camera, and it showed that, and it showed a dozen officers standing by watching and commenting on the beating. Four officers were indicted on that, but a year later, uh, they were all acquitted by the court, sparking fury and, in fact, five days of rioting in L.A. And that ignited this incredible uh, national conversation about racial and economic disparity and also about police force uh, that continues to our culture today. But it wasn't just about black and white conflict. There was a lot of issues going on. That time in uh, South Los Angeles, there were issues among Latinos, Koreans, whites, blacks, everyone seemed to be really up in arms. And because of the riots, things got really bad really fast, and many innocent victims were attacked, including a white trucker, perhaps you remember him, his name was Reginald Denny. He was severely injured, but one of the bright moments of that time was that four young African Americans went into the the mess and the, the, the conflict and pulled him out and took him to the hospital and saved him. Through that time, 50 people were killed, 2,000 were injured, 6,000 uh, looters were arrested, and over a billion dollars of damage was done. But what I remember most about that was when it was uh, about three days into the rioting that Rodney King got on national TV. Now, this was the guy who had been unfairly attacked the guy who had been beaten, the guy who had not gotten justice because as he felt, and he appealed for peace. And he said this, people, I just want to say, you know, can we all get along? Can we all just get along? And that, I, rem I will never forget that, those words from, from Rodney King. And you know what, I, I think about that sometime, and I, I want to talk today about civility and just ask the question, can we all just get along? Could we do that? What a better world it would be if we would just all make a commitment to that. Now, we may not engage in hate speech, what would really be called hate speech, and, and we might not have hate actions, or we may not go online and slur other people. And, and in our mind, we may think we're pretty good about that, but we're not innocent. And here's the reason that I know that. If you replace the word hate with some other words that are more acceptable, it still sounds the same way. How about the word snarky? 
You make a snarky comment to someone, it can definitely come out sounding hateful. Or maybe the word critical or testy or insulting or rude, mean-spirited, cruel, demeaning, or dismissive. Today we live in like an argumentative culture where we approach everything with a warlike mentality. Like, I'm, we're going to go to war over that. Whatever it is that you say or you think or I don't like, then we're going to be adversaries and we're going to go to war over that. And we have no problem taking on people that we disagree with. A few weeks ago, uh, in his message, Tony used the illustration of Ellen DeGeneres, who was sitting in, in, a, in a baseball game, I believe, watching a, a game with the former President Bush. And, and they disagree greatly on some big issues. And, you know, so there was a lot of, a, there was criticism coming toward her specifically. And she just made a statement, you know what, we can do that. We can be around people that we disagree with. We don't have to hate people. You know, we can tolerate people sometime. And, and that wasn't received very, very well either, to be honest with you. But our culture creates that sort of environment, and our culture reinforces it as well. And, and the media just fans the flames. You know, if you ever notice where they will find people who express the most extreme polarizing views on both sides, and then they present them as the two sides, as if everybody in the world basically felt strongly one way or the other. And unfortunately, sometimes we feel like we have to take a side, you know, I agree with this group over this group. We settle arguments by taking them to court, pit one person against the other, and people have to choose a side. Everything feels like a street fight, you know, where it has to be settled and and people attack one another. But in the end, what is frustrating is that nothing ever seems to really be settled. Never is settled, never is resolved, never is put to bed, never is forgotten, and people move on. And we don't seem to care who we do it to. Because what I've noticed is sometimes we take shots at people that we ought to be supporting and encouraging those people, not caring how or where our words may actually land. Now, why do I share all of that? You probably know all of this stuff, but the thing that really bothers me is, and the the thing that's more, that's sadder than all that is that many times those who follow Christ are not exempt from this. Sometimes we feel like we have to line up as well, or we naturally go that way because of our humanness. Author David Eichmann wrote this uh, in Christianity Today. He said, many Christians have turned themselves into self-appointed attack dogs of Christendom. They seem determined to savage not only opponents of Christianity, but also fellow believers of of whose doctrinal position they disapprove or disagree. A stroll through the internet reveals websites so drenched in sarcasm and animosity that an an agnostic or a follower of another faith tradition and interested in what it means to become a Christian might be permanently disillusioned. And that really is true. If you're like me and you kind of read that stuff, you you see a headline uh, about someone and People can't wait to attack them or criticize them. Even, you know, uh, someone who seems to be doing what's right, everybody's critical. It probably isn't real. You know, that's what, we, that's what we hear today. Just that kind of critical atmosphere that we live in. Now, how do we as Christians approach that? How do we, how do we deal with that? And the reality is that it's difficult because we live in this culture of offense. A culture of offense. We are easily offended, and we oftentimes offend other people as well. And I want to talk about that because that is a huge part of the issue, uh, and it's the whole idea of being offended. John Bevere, who's a minister, he, he uh, preached a sermon that I, uh, I listened to, and I'll never forget it. He calls offense the bait of Satan. Offense is the bait of Satan. 
The offense is what Satan baits the trap with, with words or actions that could potentially be offensive to us. But the reality is that we don't have to take the bait. We don't have to take the bait. We don't have to fall prey to this trap that Satan is laying out for us. We have a choice about that. We don't have to get offended. We don't have to take offense. We don't have to become offended. Do you notice that all of those words basically are choices? That someone can say something to me that I don't have to get outraged about. Someone can, can imply something, their belief that I don't even have to respond to at all. I don't have to do that. In fact, I have a, a, a people in my life that when they bait me, I don't respond. And you know what? If you don't respond, it just goes nowhere. And sometimes that needs to be the way that we just respond to people. Because when we get, choose to get offended, then it leads to a whole range of emotions in our life to hurt, anger, outrage, resentment, indignation, bitterness, hatred. Our culture is just primed and, and baited for offense. And we can't control what everybody else out there does, but we can control what we do, what we do. And that really is ultimately what it comes down to. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how to be civil to one another. You see, I believe the church really is the hope of the world. The church is the new community. We talked a couple of weeks ago that, that God is establishing a new community because our old community of the world is broken by sin, and God always intended for a new community to be established, and that God wants all of us to be a part of that, and that's where there should be total love and peace and acceptance. We talked about the word shalom, I think, in the first message which we think about just being peace, but it, but it has a broader meaning where and everyone is in harmony with one another, where culture, with people, the environment, everything is in harmony. And one day God will create that in a perfect new heaven and new earth. But today I think we're responsible for creating that in our world, and the best place I can see that is in the church. And so the church needs to be the place where that we experience real unity and we model it to the world around us. So if the church could clean up our act and this civility stuff, and we could make it a little bit of heaven on earth, I think we might even start to impress the rest of the world too. We read last week from Chronicles where God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my faith and pray, talks about repentance, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal, and I'll heal their land. And you know what? There's, there's so much healing that needs to happen today. And if God's people could initiate that and begin that, I think it could happen and ripple around the world. So how do we do that? How do we kind of get our head around that? And again, it starts with us, not with everybody else. But how do we do that? I think we begin by realizing the power of our words. The power of our words. Proverbs chapter 18 says, words kill, words can give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. What he's saying is that our words have a lot of power, that our words can actually breathe life into someone make them feel better, you know, bless their life, or they can, they can kill people. They can destroy them. Whatever we say is not neutral. It is potent. And when it comes out of our mouth, even if it might be by accident or joking or whatever it is, we can't take it back. And it definitely impacts people's lives. Proverbs 15 says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Kind words heal and help Cutting words wound and maim. We all know that our words matter. What we say and how we say those words, they make a big difference in people's life. They can be cutting, they can be harsh, 
and hurtful, or they can be wise, gentle, kind. We can tear people down, or we can build people up. Both sets of words hold a lot of power, whatever we do. I think we underestimate the power of our words. Just simple words of encouragement to someone. Just simple words of empowerment. You know, affirming people are so necessary. But on the other hand, what we say, even casually, negative words can tear people down. And you know what? The longer that we are Christians, we need to learn to choose and use our words more wisely. We need to make that a a part of our growth process. And that doesn't always happen, to be honest with you. It really doesn't. In fact, I've seen some people who know better be cutting, rude, and critical with their words. And I'm going to say this with all respect, because to be honest with you, I'm getting there myself. Here's the thing. Being old doesn't give you the right to be rude. Nothing gives you the right to be rude. Being young doesn't give you the right to be rude. Being old doesn't give you the right to be rude. Being right doesn't give you the right to be rude. Nothing does that. You can, say, you can think things without saying things. And some of us need to learn to think and not speak. If that's how we think, then you need to learn how to do that, to be honest with you. Hopefully, as you mature as a Christian, you're going to figure out that you lean more toward understanding, healing, and loving than toward wounding, insulting, and defending other people. And guys, if there's anywhere in the world that ought to be a safe place of encouragement and healing, it ought to be this place. It ought to be this place. It ought to be the body of Christ. And let me just say this too, because to be honest with you, sometimes we get careless about that even here. And what people say when we come together to worship can really be hurting. You know, several years ago, I asked you, if you got an issue with me, don't talk to me on Sunday morning, because that really is distracting. I would love, not, I wouldn't love to, but I will talk to you anytime, all right? <laughs> I don't like confrontation at all, but I'll be glad to sit out and talk to you. Well, let's don't do it on Sunday morning. And, and I, at the time, I ask you, because we've had people in our church, you know, who were elected officials, and they come to church, and somebody's got a beef with them, and this is the place they see them, and they, they talk about I ask you not to do that. I'm just going to repeat that again, because, you know, when we come together to worship, we don't need to receive criticism by anybody. Talk to somebody. Yeah, I'll applaud that. I've had people say, I walk in the door and I got criticized. I don't ever want that to happen. This needs to be a safe place. If it's on your mind, write it down, call them later, whatever it is. This is a place we come to worship, not to be confronted, not to be dealt with. And we all got our issues, but but let's learn how to do that beyond. Church ought to be a safe place. And hopefully, if somebody is foolish enough or childish enough to say something, hopefully you'll be able to resist being offended when they do bait you. Remember, this is Satan, maybe speaking through even a good person. Remember, it's the bait of Satan to be offended. And when you let yourself become offended, suddenly things begin to go downhill very quickly, I've noticed. The Apostle Paul says this, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Your words will be an encouragement. Have you ever thought about framing whatever you say to be encouraging to people instead of confronting. And you can do that in a positive way. That means you have to have a filter on your mouth. You know, it's real common today for people to say, well, I just don't have a filter on my mouth. And that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse. If if it flows through your head, you know, keep your mouth shut if it doesn't need to come out. You know, it's as simple as that. You need to put a filter on your life because your words are powerful. 
And so we're going to talk about some things that matter. I'm going to give you four civility filters, four things. And if you're a writer downer of things, you need to write these down, all right? Because they're not mine. The, you know, somebody else thought them up, but they're good, all right? Number one, ask the question, is what I'm going to say true? Is what I'm going to say true? You know, a lot of times people say, well, I just tell it like it is. And I often think, no, you tell it like you see it, not necessarily like it is. Because the way we see things is not always truth, is it? And if you're not sure something is true, it may be rumor, it could be second or third-hand information, or it could be a stereotype, just don't say it. Don't say it. Truth is the first test, the first filter that we ought to run everything through before it comes out of our mouth. Secondly, is what I'm going to say helpful? Is what I'm going to say helpful? Even if it is true, does it need to be said? Many things are true that nobody needs to, to talk about or even to hear, you know, are, especially if you don't have a, a relationship with the person. A lot of things that we say that's true can be hurtful, and it can destroy people. Is this going to be a helpful thing? Is it going to be encouraging? Is it going to be healing? Is it going to bring life? Is it going to bring benefit to those who hear it, even if it's not about them? You know, a lot of times we, what we say is not necessarily to the person, but we talk about people. And if what we say to other people about others is not going to be helpful, then why are we sharing it? What is our motive in doing that? Thirdly, goes along with that a little bit, is what I'm going to say personal. Is it personal? Are you saying it to the right person in the right way? There are some things that, that I can say to a good friend of mine that I could never say to a lot of other people because I have a relationship with them, and they know I love them, and, and they know that, that it's true, and, and that and I'll you know, pray with them and walk through it, but I can say that because I have a relationship. Is what I say personal to the right person? You don't use social media to have a conversation with somebody that needs to be in person and in private. That is annoying. That is frustrating. That is childish and immature, to be honest with you. I will promise you, I will never have an argument with you or a controversial conversation with you on social media, and we'll never have it in a public place. So if I invite you out to lunch or something, I promise you, I'm not going to have a big conversation there about an issue. I'm not going to confront you in a public place, you know, I'm just not going to do that, and neither should you. If somebody wants to do that and they bait you on social media, block them, unfriend them, unfollow, whatever you have to do to terminate that connection, that relationship. And number four is what I'm going to say loving. Is it loving? And that may be the best and the greatest filter of all, to be honest with you. It could be the only filter, in, in fact, because if you are loving to someone, you're not going to say anything that isn't true. You're not going to say anything that isn't helpful. You're not going to say anything about somebody that should not be said. Ask yourself, is this a gracious, humble, kind, uplifting thing to say? Or is this an accusing thing, critical, judgmental, sanctimonious, and mean-spirited? Is this a civil thing to say to someone? Guys, if we could just use those type of filters, and if you don't have a filter, get one. Get one, or say a lot less. That would be my advice to you. The reality is that so much of the problems in our world and so much of racism would be eliminated if we were just civil to one another. If we just practiced the golden rule, you know that rule, right? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. If we would just do that, so much better would our world be. You know, several, year, uh, several months ago here in central Kentucky, uh, we had a well-known TV personality who made some inappropriate comments on, on, the, on live on air. 
And he lost the respect of a lot of people, and in fact, he lost his job, several of his jobs, to be honest. But a few weeks ago, something even worse happened out in uh, Oklahoma City. There were two newscasters. These guys seem to need filters on their mouths sometimes, but two of these, uh, these folks, Jason Hackett and Alex Houston, are co-anchors for the morning news on Channel 5 in Oklahoma City. And Jason Hackett is African-American, and uh, Alec Houston is white. And they were showing this uh, special interest segment, like the video segment, of a baby western lowland gorilla playing with a camera uh, at, at the Oklahoma City Zoo. And so I wanted to show you what happened. This aired uh, live on the news, so maybe you can bring that up. With voices. City Zoo, and this week the zoo's eighth caretaker took over their Instagram, and we are all loving that they did. And as you can see, Finn was fascinated. Definitely ready for his close up. Kind of looks like you. What do you think of the picture? I don't know if you heard that right at the end, but but they was going out, and she said, "He looks a lot like you. He looks a lot like you." And um, so, as you can imagine, yeah, it was kind of a. a uh, the group gasped, but that people said. I mean, it was like uh, Alec Houston told her black co-host that he looked like the gorilla. And that really is kind of the epitome of racism right there. Obviously, people were outraged, and they were calling for her to be fired. But the next day on the news, the, the two co-anchors addressed it head on, and they dealt with it on, on, uh, on the news. So let's show the second part of that video. I'm here this morning because I want to apologize the only time co-anchor Jason, but to our entire community. I said something yesterday that was inconsiderate, it was inappropriate, and I hurt people. And I want you to know, I understand how much I hurt you out there and how much I hurt you. I love you so much, and you have been one of my best friends for the past year and a half, and I would never do anything on purpose to hurt you. And I love our community. And I want you all to know, from the bottom of my heart, I apologize for what I said. I know it was wrong, and I am so sorry. Oh, Alex, thank you very much. And I, I, I do accept your apology, and I, I do appreciate your apology. Um, I want to let everybody out there know that Alex um, is one of my best friends. I mean, we do what we do here, and, and you know, it's not as if we see each other here and then we leave and we go home. We talk every day, or almost every other day. Um, I've told you things, I've shared things with you as a friend, and I I do appreciate you and I do love you. Um, All that being said, uh, and Alex will be the first to admit this to you, what she said yesterday was wrong. Um, It cut deep for me and it cut deep for a lot of you in the community. I've heard the the phone calls and I've heard the Facebook messages as well. And and, and I guess coming out of this, I want this to be a teachable moment. And that that lesson here is that words, words matter. There's no doubt about that. Um, changing demographics here in this country, the demographics are changing. We're becoming a more diverse country, and, and there's no excuse. We have to understand uh, the stereotypes. We have to understand uh, each other's backgrounds and the words uh, that hurt, the words that cut deep. And we have to find a way to replace those words with love and words of affirmation um, as well. Um, you know, what we do here as broadcasters, uh, we use words. Words are the, the tools of our trade, much like a, you know, a plumber would use a wrench or a doctor would use a scalpel. We use words. And, and our goal and what we need to do is use those words not, not to hurt, 
and not to divide, uh, but to build a more perfect union. And uh, this is going to be a journey for us. We're learning things here. And uh, we at KOCO5 hope that you join us along on this journey. Yeah. I don't know how well that sound came out. It may not have been the best, but basically she apologized to him and to their community, and, and he was gracious, but he was honest about the hurt. Dialogue uh, includes uh, saying I'm sorry and also to some healing words, but he was honest to say, uh, you know, uh, we appreciate that. It, it was inappropriate, but he encouraged everyone to accept apology and move on. And I think that is a key to any reconciliation, whether it's racial, relational, whatever it may be. The key is for all of us, regardless of who we are, white, black, Latino, Asian, European, whatever it may be, to relate to one another as human beings, to get to know each other. We talked about last week about building relationships beyond ourselves, to listen, to talk to, to forgive, to be per, um, personal relationships, and, and to be loving to one another. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them is just to live in peace, but the other one is to guard and protect our hearts. Because I want to tell you, Satan is a master of initiating and fueling conflict of any sort, especially uh, racial conflict, because he wants to make this world as dark and divisive as possible. He wants to make this a place where people don't see hope and they don't see light, but Jesus came to bring light, the light of love and hope and reconciliation into dark places. And you and I are going to reflect that. We're either going to be the agents of darkness or we're going to be the agents of light. And you and I can breathe life into other people and hope into people. And we can show the world what a community that's been infected by Jesus looks like between different uh, people of different backgrounds. We can bring a message of peace and civility and hope into the world, but it has to start with us. It has to start with us. It's not going to start with a secular world. It just isn't going to do it. And it isn't going to be real if it does. I was talking to one of our deacons earlier and and he said he loves the spirit that we have here. It just seems, it seems real because sometimes people, uh, they can say one thing and in this area of racial con uh, uh, reconciliation, they can imply one thing, but it may not feel real. And I believe it, it's real here. I believe God's doing something. We want to open our lives up to his spirit so that he can do more and more in us and through us. And it has to start with us. I'll go back once again in closing to Rodney King, who was himself a victim of discrimination and hatred, but he had it right when he said, can't we just all get along? And I think the answer is yes, we can, moving our hearts closer to that of Christ, learning to be civil to each other regardless of, of what the differences are, how we disagree, just showing the love of Christ in our life would make so much difference. And it also would have a huge impact in moving people on their simple journey toward Jesus. Because if we are offending people, we're not moving people, moving them away, not closer, not closer to our hearts or closer to the heart of Christ. And so I want to encourage you in that. I hope this has been an encouraging series. I hope it's maybe made us think more than anything else. It certainly has me. It's been good for me personally. And I hope it's encouraged you as well and that we can take more steps in healing and encouraging one another. We're going to go now to a time of uh, communion. And of all times in our service, to me, this is a moment of reconciliation where it's ac actually pictured and visibly seen through the sharing of the Lord's Supper. And if you are a believer in Christ, we invite you to come and share with us and just come to the table. I think it'll be pretty obvious as we move forward how we do that as we uh, come and respond in that way.
But the Lord's Supper is a time of reflection, a time for us to think about what Jesus has done for us. It should never, never be done uh, without good thought. In fact, the Bible says that we should examine ourselves in the process before we take the, uh, the cup and, the, ju- and the, uh, the bread. And the bread is a reminder of the broken body of Christ and of the shed blood of Jesus that was given to us. And so as we do that, we just invite you to come and share I'm going to be off to the side over here. I would love to pray with you. I've already had a chance to pray with a couple people this morning, and I'd love to do that. Tony will be on the other side. And we just love to, to just provide a time for you to, to, to share what's on your heart, maybe what God's saying to you, or maybe if you decide to, to make a decision for Christ today uh, and you want to talk to someone about that, we'd love to do that. Let's pray together as we go into a time of communion. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. It, it is so extremely practical. It addresses the, the real issues of our life. And God, we thank you that, that we see reconciliation made. We see love. We see a civility uh, beyond civility. Uh, that is Jesus who came to a broken world and reached out to, to, uh, to broken people. And Lord, we thank you that we can now connect with you through this uh, time of communion. Lord, I pray you would bless the bread and the cup, Lord, as they are set aside to remind us of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be drawn closer to you as we partake. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.